You're listening to episode three of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband Hunter and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our rainbow baby, which is defined as a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. This episode is my conversation with Amber Meegan, who founded the Shine On Run for Pregnancy and Infant Loss in San Antonio, Texas. After losing her twin boys, Amber discovered that running gave her a sense of renewed strength and healing. This inspired her to create a remembrance run supporting other lost moms as well as their families and friends. Amber went on to have three rainbow babies and talks about her story of loss, pregnancy after loss, and parenting after loss. I also want to mention that this episode was recorded when I was six weeks pregnant in the spring of 2019, which unfortunately ended in a miscarriage. I've really struggled over whether I should release this episode as is or edit out the parts where I mention the pregnancy because I don't want to upset any listeners who are currently pregnant and fear having another loss. But I feel that the parts of this conversation where I talk about my experience of being newly pregnant after loss are so relevant to this podcast. I also believe it's important to include the full picture of my story, even though I didn't get the rainbow baby I'd hoped for. I'll talk more about my miscarriage in the next episode, and there will also be many other people's stories in future episodes, because I know that everyone has a unique experience of grief and pregnancy after loss. But for now, I hope my conversation with Amber is a light to you wherever you are on your journey. Amber's had 10 years to reflect on the loss of her twins and has a true gift for putting words to her experience of grief and healing. We've since become friends, and her bright and grounded spirit is a balm to my own grief. Here's our conversation. So I'm here with Amber Megan, who is the founder of the Shine On Remembrance Run for Pregnancy and Infant Loss here in San Antonio. And um, Amber and I actually met just a couple of weeks ago and were introduced by a mutual friend who knew both of our stories of loss. And within, you know, minutes of meeting each other, we felt an instant connection and ended up talking for about an hour and shared our stories with each other. And what Amber didn't know is that I was, I had just found out that I was pregnant that day. Um, And I didn't tell her yet because I hadn't even told my mom yet. (laughs) Um, But I've since reached out to her and and shared that I was pregnant and that I had this idea for this podcast and asked if she would come on and talk with me about her story of of loss and pregnancy after loss. So um, I would love it if you would start by sharing about Liam and Sean, your twins, and um, and kind of tell us about how that was transformative for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first, thank you for having me here. I think this is such an important conversation, and any opportunity to tell my story and specifically like honor, I think our babies is really special. So, so thank you for that. So, in two thousand eight, a year after uh, my husband Kelly and I. We're married. We were kind of having the conversation of, of kids and the assumption that it would look like everyone else's that we knew of uh, stories. That is like we would when we wanted to have a baby, we would have a baby and, you know, it would be a healthy pregnancy. And 
just never really envisioned um, anything other than than that. Um, I say that. And uh, six weeks and we had gone in for our first appointment, which is early. If, if, if you have been pregnant, you know, usually they don't see you that early. Um, but I was wrong on my calculations of how far along I thought I was. And I think at that point, what I found out later was my doctor saw some kind of abnormality, didn't tell us Mm -hmm. that. So we kind of walked out of the room, like heads high and so excited. And, um, we were told to come back two weeks later. So we did. And in that appointment, um, that was, you know, when everything changed, kind of the story that you hear, you know, like the room spins a little bit and you find out that that healthy pregnancy you thought was coming is, is not your story. Um, our specific story was, was unique to say the least. Um, it was a journey. So, um, initially during that eight week, um, uh, um, sonogram, they had found what they thought was a second twin, but they couldn't find like the whole, the whole body. They could see two heartbeats. Mm. They couldn't make sense of it. They were trying to, because they were so small, we were only eight weeks along. And so at that point, you know, this, this doctor, not my doctor, he, my doctor happened to be out of town. So the doctor that was like over my, you know, uh, my case, so to speak, came in and said, well, um, we'll give you your options and like walked out of the room. Mm. And I was like, how did we go from thinking we were going to like walk out with our pictures to you telling me what my options are? Mm. It was, it was crazy. I, I don't remember much of the drive home other than tears, Mm -hmm. other than tears. And, um, and, another doctor in the practice being willing to see us the next day on a Saturday that was like this tremendous blessing, just really trying to make sense of our situation, have our twins. We found out (laughs) there were, there were definitely two. Um, but what we came to find out after many, many weeks of, we actually ended up being referred to the Baylor college of medicine, um, because we were just such a (laughs) one in a million kind of story. Um, our, our twins were semi-conjoined, so they had their own organs, um, but they had gone through the twinning process late, mm. and so there was this tissue kind of in between their abdomens that did share blood flow. So um, that's sort of the beginning of, of the story. You know, I think at that point, um, doctors kind of started to, to point out the obvious that, like, this did not look like it was going to end well, you know, um, the really painful reality of that. And if, and if our twins did survive, like what that would look like. So we were actually, um, considered, um, or they give us the, the option to consider trying to separate them in utero. Mm. Um, and they sent us home at like, I think at that point we were 14 weeks along, um, the bigger challenge of that case was that they had developed what is called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, which is a pretty common situation for twins, for multiples. Um, And essentially, it's where one is getting more nutrients than the other. So in that case, if we separated them, the weaker twin, we were told, would pass, but we would give our stronger twin, which, which was Sean, Liam was our weaker one, we would give Sean a better chance of survival. Mm. That was like a moment 
I, Kelly and I just, my husband and I just went to our hotel room and weeped. Wow. Like, you, you've given us, like, this weird communication or message of potential hope and at the same time inevitable loss and sacrifice. And we didn't feel equipped to make that decision. And when we came back two weeks later, they told us that um, they just, they were too close. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do the separation. And so in a weird way, that was a blessing that we didn't have to make that that choice and have that question forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, when I was 16 weeks, I didn't feel them moving. And so knew, knew pretty quickly that most likely they had passed. Mm-hmm. And um, we went in and again, the moment that I think any mother that's been through that specific scenario remembers us being told like, I'm sorry, that, you know, they no longer have heartbeats. So from there, do you want me to keep going with this? Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a long story. <laughs> so from there, um, that was October 8th. Um, I tend to know these dates really well. Oh, yeah. I, uh, was given a, options, um, of, of, um, basically at that point, how we were going to proceed, if that was going to be delivery or if we were going to have, um, them medically removed or just wait for my body to, recognized that they had passed and they told me that could be weeks. So Mm. we opted for delivery. Um, no, I mean, there were obviously no good options, but we felt like that would honor them in the best way in Mm -hmm. our minds. That was, I understand that's a very personal decision for us. That was what we believed what we wanted to do. So I was induced the next morning. Um, my body did not, but just, did not go along with that very well (laughs) as sort of to be expected. Um, so after, uh, a long labor, we were able, I was able to deliver them, um, kind of a twist in the story and what something that really, um, challenged my faith and challenged, just really challenged me was that I delivered them on my birthday. And so, really kind of asking God, like, of all the days, <laughs> this can't be a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. Yeah. Why this day? You know? And so um, I did have complications. I started hemorrhaging after the, they had been delivered. So I was rushed into surgery um, to take care of that, um, to take care of basically the placenta at that mm-hmm. point. So um, to continue on, there were further complications. I... I spiked a fever a few days after and um, went into the hospital and I was septic and um, I had developed. So to shorten this part of the story, because it really, I mean, it was a month that I was in the hospital in and out. Um, I was not a candidate for, but had uh, developed what was called placenta accreta uh, because I wasn't a candidate. They hadn't looked for it. So... um, Basically, the placenta, my placenta had grown into my uterus. And so by textbook cases, my understanding is they should have removed my uterus or that that's what the medical recommendation is. Um, but I believe that I have um, had a doctor who shared great empathy for our situation mm-hmm. and wanted to give us at least the opportunity to to have children. Mm-hmm. So that that is... The very, you know, the longest trial of my life in a nutshell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and we talked earlier about how right. um, when these 
kind of very extreme circumstances happen that are literally one in a million, Mm -hmm. you feel it's, you feel special in a way that you don't want to feel special. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. on top of that, having it happen on your birthday. Right. So I wonder now that it's been 10 years, Mm -hmm. how have you been able, have you been able to kind of find peace with that, Mm -hmm. that it, how is your birthday now? How is my birthday now? Yes, I have. I have. I think, it, you know, it has been a decade. And I think that each year looked a little bit different, you know, from that from that first one when I was in the hospital and my friends. It just, it, it really, it really makes me emotional to think of how they must have been trying to, they didn't know what to say, but they somehow knew birthday cake was the answer, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I must have had five birthday cakes in my little hospital room, you know? Um, Just nobody had words, but everybody had cake. (laughs) (laughs) And the next year was, um, it was conflicting. I think that that's a word that you may, we may talk about, a lot, you know, or, or feelings that are coexisting because, Mm -hmm. because by the next year on my birthday, I was pregnant with, uh, Finley, who is now nine, um, a healthy, rambunctious, you know, crazy nine-year-old. But that year, you know, I was filled with fear. I was filled with grief. I was filled with hope. Mm -hmm. And, um, we decided to, to do a balloon release in their honor in our backyard. And, we wrote, both my husband and I wrote them a letter and um, kind of tried to do something that would honor them. Um, I wanted to skip my birthday, you know. Mm-hmm. I I, um, I really wanted it to just be about their memory. Um, there was a tremendous amount of guilt. Mm-hmm. I think that if you talk to any mother who experiences infant loss or miscarriage, um, it really any type of loss, we find a way to make it our fault. Mm -hmm. Um, so much, so much guilt and so much shame, which 99% of the time, probably a hundred percent, there is no logical correlation, but we somehow find a way, Mm -hmm. you know, um, we're talented that way. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, the next couple of years, you know, again, it was every year looked a little bit different, but, um, around the, the nine year anniversary, um, actually about a month before one of, one of my friends had experienced, um, a miscarriage and it was not her first. And she was, uh, far enough to kind of look, you know, look like she was pregnant and she was so scared of people asking her and not knowing what, you know, what to say. And it kind of took me back. So after all the complications that I kind of mentioned earlier, um, one of the one of well, I guess to go a little bit deeper with that, I was extremely weak. Um, I had I had to have uh, multiple blood transfusions. Wow. Um, it it just it, I was really in a pretty poor physical state to say the least. And so um, I was registered prior to ever finding you know to finding out I was pregnant with the twins. I was registered for the rock and roll half marathon. So I had gone because you, know, you got to get your shirt. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I had like hobbled my way, wow. you know, into the Alamo Dome, but I had to pause like multiple times walking. I had to, I had to take breaks. And how far along was this after? So this? at that point in time, it would have been about two months after. Wow. So um, I was weak. Yeah. I was really, really weak. And so I decided that um, 
I w- I, I think that was probably the moment for me of it's, it's time for me to start um, doing something for myself physically because I felt like my body had physically failed our twins. And mm-hmm. so I needed to prove to myself that I was still strong. Um, I'd never been like a crazy star athlete, but I had always, you know, I'd always played sports and enjoyed um, just being in nature. And so I, uh, I took up running again, not quickly. I, I, I definitely am not a fast runner and especially not then, but you and I spoke earlier about like a moment where we felt hope. And I remember running and I probably ran 50 yards and for whatever reason, feeling like all of the emotions of, I just ran a block or whatever it was but that gave me hope. Mm -hmm. It was a moment for me that was like a small pivotal turning point. And so taking it back to my friend, I, I like, I had like flashed back to all of that and, um, suggested to her, like, why don't we start running? You know? And we did. And we started running. And it was in that time that I, I feel like it was a God given dream. I feel like the message was like, okay, like you're ready. Um, and this is a subject that I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, and that is just the lost community, the, like what you're doing here, having conversations that are hard, hard to have, but that are necessary to have and bringing things to the light. So, you know, community and healing that all comes from being vulnerable and us sharing our stories. So from there, that was where, um, the shine on remembrance run was, was born, you know? And so. I am. I actually have a friend who co-founded it with me. Her name is Leslie. I'd come, I came to her and I said, I have this idea, you know, and, um, tears streaming down her face. She's like, I have to do this too. You know, because she had experienced, um, two losses and just there's, there is an instant connection. Mm-hmm. Like you talked about when we met, you know, there is an instant, I know what you've been through. Mm-hmm. Not exactly. Obviously our stories are also different and I don't want to pretend that I understand your grief. Um, but there is a connection, of loss, um, that you can't, it's, it's the club you don't want to be a part of. And I know it's cliche and you hear that, but, but it is, there is so much truth in that statement, Mm -hmm. um, for those of us in this community. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I'm just so grateful that you've come as far as you have. And it's so special and important for me to be able to hear your story having been 10 years later, because mine is not even less than a year year behind me. Um, so to be able to see kind of like we said earlier that you showered this morning and you're, you, (laughs) you look great and you're a functioning human being. It's like, it just, that gives me hope. I understand that. I understand that there were so many dark times, you know, especially at the beginning, um, where you do think that like, can I, can I shower? Can I get out of bed? Can I, I mean, just like the normal tasks of going to work. I mean, that took so much emotional, yeah. Um, and mental energy, just the things that I took for granted day to day, mm-hmm. you know, that grief just like ripped right out from, you know, from beneath me. Um, and it is crazy to think, to, to think of how far both of us, but as, you know, especially me being the one who obviously went through like the physical part of it as well, how far my husband and I both come, mm-hmm. you know, in our journey. So how long was it after the twins that you were told you could start trying again? Sure. And then emotionally when you were ready to start trying again? You know, I think that's interesting because I've, I've since our experience, I think that 
the opportunity to have these conversations with women who have kind of had that these this exact question of like when when were you ready and what did that look like and I've I've spoken with a lot of women who said like I'm not ready um I didn't experience that I I feel like the I could not wait to be pregnant again me too but I also think that some of that was because I really felt like this that would fix this at least a little bit. Me too. You know? Mm-hmm. And so um, I just, I never could exactly relate to the, to the, to the being, I mean, I could definitely relate to the fear part of it, but to the wanting to wait, like there was no want to wait. Right. Um, because I had had so many complications, they made it, they made that decision for me. Mm-hmm. And so they said, um, you have to wait at least six months. Like your body would not be able to carry a baby right now. So that was obviously very motivating to, mm-hmm. um, to listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so we waited actually five months. I went in for my follow-up to just see how I was healing. And they said, like, or my doctor said, you look, you look great. I'm going to give you the green light. And there was just never a, again, I think that I was just, I was running from having to maybe even properly deal with my grieving process. And I don't know that there's a proper way. That's probably not a good way of putting it. But, um, I was definitely hopeful that when we had a healthy baby, if we had a healthy baby, that that would change, that this would, it would almost erase it, you know, Mm -hmm. that it would make this all make sense and, um, and that, you know, he would be the reason, you know, that this whole thing had happened. I just, I think that that was something I was really searching for. I wanted to make sense of the nonsensical, right? We, Taylor and I were just talking about a podcast about sort of the same subject, you know, recently, but just, um, I wanted to make sense of it. I wanted order. And in large part, because if if I understood it, then it would prevent me from ever having to experience, you know, that type of grief or feeling Mm -hmm. again. So, um, I did get pregnant right away, but it, it, it was an interesting experience. You know, I, I, I battled, I mean, I never had, I don't know that even in my first pregnancy, I ever had the luxury of just being pregnant, you know, because so quickly we found out there were, there were complications. Um, but for sure the second one, when they were like, it looks like he looks, well, before it was he, baby looks great. Like, are you sure? And are we sure there's only one, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, because the first time we'd gone in for our first sonogram, there, there was only one sack right. and then mysteriously two had appeared or yeah. well, no, not two had appeared. Two babies had appeared in one sack, but, um, there were just, there was just a lot of fear of the unknown of like that next appo- appointment, you mm-hmm. know, Kelly, my husband never missed going to an appointment because we were just, we always knew that that could be the one mm-hmm. where you got news that you that could change everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was hard, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was again, like then their, their birth date rolled around, my birthday rolled around and it was complicated. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was pregnant and I felt like I should be so joyful and I, I should be happy. And I didn't give myself a lot of permission. Not, not only did I not give myself permission to grieve, but I really didn't give myself permission to talk about it. So I, I just stuffed it all. I internalized, I internalized all of it. So what was it like being at that very first appointment? Terrifying. It was terrifying, you know, and I think 
for me, I had flashbacks. You know, I had flashbacks of of the conversations. I can I can sit here and speak with you and picture exactly, the, you know, which room we were in when we found out, or yeah, when we when we were like scheduling um, the delivery. You know, that's that's trauma, mm-hmm. and so it's hard to go back into that same environment and um, and not be flooded with the memories, which then kind of turns, at least in my case you know, to, to fear and to anxiety. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we were so grateful to be there, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, there was a sign that, I mean, that, not a sign, there was this beautiful heartbeat, you know, things looked good. Um, we were technically high risk, so we got, I mean, the only really good thing about being high risk is then you get to go every week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, we were able to go in each week and that was, that was a blessing. And I feel like that helped with some of the anxiety, but not, not, not like I wish it would have, and right. I, I don't think that maybe even speaking with a counselor would have like magically made that disappear. I think that if there's anything I I would say to someone or that I've learned, it's that you just have to give yourself some grace. Mm-hmm. And how did you make the decision to stay with your same doctor? Well, you know that's I think that's an interesting conversation because, um, you know, I may have mentioned earlier, but by textbook case, you know, most doctors would have not even given me a shot, you know? Um, and I think it was, he was part of our journey in, in my mind. Um, and so staying with him was actually never a question for me. Um, you know, we sent him a Christmas card after Finley was born, you know, it just, he, he, he's, he is a part of our story. And, um, I know that that's not the case for everyone, like you and I have kind of talked about. And I think that if the situation had been, if there had been any you know, negative correlation, that would, that would not be the story. You know, we would, I would have had no problem, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no problem moving forward because, because he is, our doctor is such a part of our story. I feel even that much more passionate about you finding a doctor where you feel that connection. Um, and that it is perfectly acceptable and that you, you should not feel guilt over finding a doctor that you are comfortable with. Um, and that, can handle your emotions. I, you know, I know that that's not necessarily like in the job description. Um, but grief and loss is a, is a possibility, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's a reality. And, um, I never would have gone in with like, you know, how people will go and interview their doctors ahead of time. My questions would have looked a lot different. I didn't even do that on the front end, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. if I had, you know, that I just didn't know what I didn't know. And the more immersed that I have, um, become in the lost community, the more you find out, um, that even though most doctors are very well equipped on the medical side, which they should be, and that's obviously, you know, priority, um, there is a lot of times something lacking when it comes to emotional support or even just bedside manner. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like you were more comfortable asking questions in your Mm second, in your second pregnancy, um, kind of more mm-hmm. confident as an advocate for yourself and for Finley. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that experience? Sure. I would say yes. I, I don't know that we had a lot of concern or I don't know that we had a lot of problems the first time sort of being an advocate because I think we both realized early on that we were going to have to be, um, you know, pretty quickly on when you're given like options to keep the pregnancy or not. Like you, you kind of have to know you're going in fighting mm-hmm. um, and that 
you just, it's the situation. You have to be an advocate. Um, I will say that, you know, my husband thinks he's like a sonogram pro because we became really, he became really good at asking all the questions. I'm sure they, I'm sure he was so annoying to them, but, (laughs) but yeah, we did. We, we, I don't know that we knew everything to ask, but if we did have a question, we, we certainly did. We certainly did ask. Um, and I think that I, you know, some of the, I don't regret doing this, but some of some of my anxiety played into some of my decisions. Like I, I, I rented a um, fetal heart monitor, mm. um, with just feeling like I needed the, I needed reassurance, even though we were going in every week. I was so paranoid. Yeah. That's you know? good to know. My, I talked with my doctor about whether or not we should get an at-home Doppler, and mm-hmm. she advised me against it and mm-hmm. said, you know, I understand why you would want to have one, mm-hmm. but if you do sense there is a problem, I'd rather you come in, right. and it's no big deal. We can check it. Right. But she said that there can be kind of a false positive yes. in the sense of you mm-hmm. can feel like you're hearing the heartbeat normally, but there might actually be a problem. Right. I have since learned that. Mm. So I didn't know that, yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when we, when we got all that, the only thing that I thought was uh, the only, I guess, um, reason that it was so important to me was because I didn't know about the, the, the possibility of it being wrong mm-hmm. in my mind. If we heard his heartbeat, then that meant he was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in hindsight. So subsequent, subsequently after Finley, we did not, um, we did not rent that rent it again. And if there was a problem, I went in, mm-hmm. you know, um, I definitely became the person who like, it's okay if you see me 20 times, if I'm just unsure, yep. I'm kind of shameless, you yep. know, um, because you don't ever want to, you don't ever want to like wonder, right. Should I have, yeah. you know, that like makes if me you have feel... a question, just go in, Yeah, <laughs> you know, that makes me feel a lot more confident because yeah. I've already had yeah. experiences just in the past two weeks of knowing that I'm pregnant where I feel something funny happening, mm-hmm. you know, in the right side of my pelvis. And I think mm-hmm. I must have an ectopic pregnancy. And, <laughs> and then I spent three hours on Google, oh you know, gosh. and just in a spiral of anxiety. And Google. and then I realized, you know, I'd been doing some yoga stretches and probably <laughs> just kind of like, you know, stretched a certain muscle yes. in that area. And yes. it's most likely fine. Right. Um, and but, it is most likely fine. Yeah. But I think that I think that if there's ever that question, if there's ever a lingering, what should I just, just go with yes. Yeah. I just err on the side of caution and maybe, maybe to a fault, but I just, I'm pretty passionate about that. Mm-hmm. If you walk out with peace of mind, you know, Hey, they got their copay. They're fine. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you guys tell people and make oh, the decision yeah. of when and who sure. to tell sure. that you were pregnant again? Yeah. I, you know, we told, so when we found out we were pregnant with, with the twins, um, I thought I was farther along than I was. I didn't think I was 12 weeks, but I definitely thought I was farther than I was. And, um, I, I just kind of didn't want to follow the rule of the, the, the quote unquote 12 week rule. And I, and I think that a big part of that was because I wanted, you know, what I now know were two babies, but that was one baby you know, to have, to have prayers. And that, um, my, my thought even before all this was if something didn't go, didn't go right, um, I wouldn't want to have to like pretend I'm okay. I wanted, um, I wanted a support system. Um, and I felt like if, 
it it just didn't feel right to then only share the bad news Mm -hmm. if, you know, if something did not go right. So all that said, um, obviously our story being what it was, it was, it was very public and, um, we had, we had a lot of prayer warriors, people that we didn't know. We had so many random letters coming in the mail. It was amazing. Just these sweet, you know, gifts of consideration. But, uh, when we did find out we were pregnant, of course that was a question because, even though, you know, I don't believe in, I, I personally don't believe, like, if I tell you before 12 weeks I'm, I'm jinxing it or it's it's right. bad luck, you still go, but what if it is? Exactly. You know, you you just want so badly for a different outcome mm-hmm. that you, you'll just, I don't mean, if, if someone told me to wear, like, rainbow socks for the next <laughs> night, done, you know? <laughs> That's funny that you say that because I've actually, I have a pair of rainbow earrings on right now <laughs> that I've been wearing since day one, so... <laughs> There you go. But yeah, I've had the same Case thought of like, <laughs> as I start telling people, yeah. I wonder, is, am I going to somehow jinx it by putting I it know. out there? It, the things I know. and But I, I think the reason I am so passionate about it, what, you know, I believe in Jesus and I believe in, I believe in so many things, but just the, the belief that um, our days are numbered, which I think doesn't give some people peace, but it does give me peace. Mm-hmm. And that um, I, we, you can do all the you can do all the right things. You cannot tell people until twelve weeks. You can, you can do it by the book, you know, and you can still experience loss, mm-hmm. right? Um, and at the same time, um, you can do everything wrong, and have a perfectly healthy child, mm-hmm. which goes against everything that I used to believe. Mm-hmm. I, I very much equated like good works, good life. Mm-hmm. And, um, if I followed the rules that, that it would, it would mean good things. And so, um, yeah, all that said, my thought now is that when I think that we, um, I think that we isolate ourselves if we choose not to, um, not to tell at least our, our trusted network. It doesn't mean you have to put it on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. But I think at least that your support system, that if they're not, if they can't support you, you're isolating yourself. And mm-hmm. that's a really dangerous place. You know, that's a really lonely place and that's a really dangerous place. Mm-hmm. So what was it like to reach, I guess, the milestone in your mm-hmm. second pregnancy mm-hmm. of that 16-week mark mm-hmm. where you lost the twins? Mm-hmm. So I um, I experienced like your normal nausea and that sort of you know pregnancy symptoms that I um, I actually was glad I had because then you know that meant that I was still pregnant right mm-hmm. uh, but then twelve weeks came and went and I was like gosh I'm still nauseous and thirteen came and went and man I still don't feel very good and at sixteen weeks after um, you know that milestone it all settled. And I really think slash wonder if it had to do with my anxiety mm-hmm. around reaching that milestone. Because even though I had no control, there's still an element of guilt. There was still an element of guilt when I passed it, when Finley passed it. Now we have Ethan and when Emma passed it, you know, each each time there was this weird like, feel this healthy baby move and there's so much gratitude and at the same time coexisting with that is sadness Mm -hmm. you know and again some of that guilt that doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. and yet it's a very real emotion to process Mm -hmm. we've talked about how grief teaches you that you can hold space for all different kinds of emotions Mm -hmm. in in one Mm -hmm. breath 
So that can be joy, gratitude for a second pregnancy and also grief, sadness and fear and anxiety that it might happen again. Right. Um, and so I think this experience has taught me that it, it's okay to have seemingly conflicting emotions. Right. And you just kind of have to let them pass through you and accept that, that that's your reality. Right. And so maybe it's not a matter of conflicting, but maybe it's a matter of just coexisting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how was the rest of your preg- pregnancy from that 16 weeks toward the yeah. end? So with Finley specifically, I around, uh, let's see, around week 22, I started having just Braxton Hicks, which are common. They're pretty common. Um, but I was having a little bit more than I probably should have been. Um, but I was also, uh, well, I was, I had a bet with my husband that I wouldn't go to the gym every day. And so I, I was really, really <laughs> adamant about my exercise <laughs> regimen. So I had to back off of that a little bit, yeah. make sure I was hydrated well, you know, and then, um, at 32 weeks, I, um, the Braxton Hicks were progressing. And so I had gone into the hospital and they had put me on tributylene. They had done the shots. They had essentially stopped our labor and then put me on bed rest. Mm. And um, on tributylene, it happened again at 34 weeks. Wow. And so I went back in. They did this shot. I mean, we were like, okay, he's just he's just going to come early. Yeah. Like it's, And I remember feeling like, that would be so much better Mm -hmm. than me still being pregnant Mm -hmm. because I just had so much fear and I had so much, um, distrust in my, in my physical body that I felt like even though he wouldn't, which this is so silly, but like he wouldn't have been fully developed that he would thrive more so outside of my womb, which Mm -hmm. makes no logical sense. But I think that that's what like fear and and grief can kind of do. It Mm -hmm. can really, um, twist logical thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, at, uh, 34 weeks, they stopped the labor again. They sent me home and it, and, uh, happened again, just short of 36 weeks, like literally one day they stopped the labor. They sent me home. And I remember I was in tears because, well, I thought I'm basically full term, like we're having him. And I was excited to meet him and I was excited to have him outside of, you know, this body that I didn't trust. And they had said no. (laughs) So, I mean, and again, like this was the best thing for his health, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't thinking in a healthy way necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, so I remember going to Red Lobster and having cheddar biscuits and eating my emotions with <laughs> with my husband, you know, and and I just remember being like, it's just one more day and yeah. we would have had it, you know, and I thought that was so frustrating. Well, it was so frustrating. And then the irony, the absolute irony and just lesson uh, that he that child and the the Ethan and Emma continue to teach us as well. It's like, we haven't, I mean, our kids just, they're so uncontrollable. Right. He ended up having to be induced. Wow. I mean, can you even fathom? So yeah, after all that, he had to be induced. Um, (laughs) And so that was an interesting experience too, because obviously excited, all of the normal emotions, also so much fear Once you have experienced loss, a lot of times you start to connect with other women who have experienced loss and you're one in a million story and you think you're so, you know, unique and you start to hear these other women's stories and like, you don't want to be, you don't want to experience what anyone else has 
or what you have, um, you just don't want it to reoccur. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it, I think I had been in labor for 10 to 12 hours when um, Finley's heart rate started to drop. Mm. And so um, the, our doctor just said, we're just going to have to take him. Yeah. And there was in that moment, just, there was no question. There was no, I think that at some point I could have been the person that was really passionate about, you know, a a vaginal birth or the natural way, or, you know, the quote unquote, like right way to do it. And in that moment, that all goes out the window, you know, just get him here healthy. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, yeah, he was born by, by C-section, you know, that night. And, um, I had like a weird reaction on the table. Like I, I don't know. I I don't know that I can even tell you what it was at this point. I just remember the anesthesiologist, like you had a reaction, you're okay now. Hmm. And uh, you know, everything was fine, but I, but I feel like his actual delivery was a little fuzzy and a little gray for me. And then, so all of a sudden you're, you know, I'm being wheeled out and it's, it's really pretty sweet, pretty cute, but they, put him in between my legs as, as kind of, they wheeled me away. But I remember being like, there's a baby. That's my baby. Like just, (laughs) it's really weird. Like I'm sure it's surreal. It is so surreal. And also the immediate disappointment of I'm still sad. Mm. That was hard. Mm -hmm. And I didn't tell a soul. I didn't tell a soul that I felt that, Mm. you know, I've heard that from other, other lost moms that, having that second child is almost harder because it's a realization of what you truly lost the mm-hmm. first time. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I think, you know, it didn't, I, I feel like the obvious need to say clearly I loved him. I of love course. him, yeah. you know, but it can coexist again. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was a recognition. It was, um, it also, even though, they had, we had lost them a year before. Somehow it made it more final. Mm. It was a new step in, in, in moving forward. Um, the ultimate like symbolism of, of, of that, of moving forward. Um, and we were never moving on without them, you know, but feeling almost like we betrayed them Mm. by choosing, you know, to try again. Um, instead of sort of staying in that sad place where I really wanted to stay for, even though I did really want to get pregnant, I also really wanted to stay in that sad place. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. So were you able to communicate those sad feelings after Finley's birth to anyone? No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I, I've, I've, I think that really probably took me years to even recognize and translate and dissect what all of those emotions were. Um, I've told people that, you know, how hard having, having Finley was, but I think that I kind of talked about like the physical side of a C-section delivery and, you know, your first time really learning how to care for another human being to this degree. And all of that was true. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, nursing was a nightmare that, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we figured out, but it was so, you know, I felt like it was supposed to be this super, just the most natural process Mm -hmm. and it would be this beautiful thing. And it was pretty horrendous. We figured it out, but it was so hard Mm -hmm. and just kind of feeling that like, why is all of this so hard? Like, what am I doing so wrong? Um, 
that everyone else seemed to have down, you know, so, so easily. Um, but no, I, I never talked to anyone because I was ashamed mm-hmm. and I felt like I would be judged for not just, you know, just be grateful. Like you have so much and I, and I, and I do, and I, and I did in that moment, but I, I had also, you know, we had also had a tremendous loss and mm-hmm. that didn't erase, you know, Finley doesn't erase that. And, and it would be silly to think that he should, you know, to put that kind of pressure on a baby, you know, and yet we unintentionally and maybe even subconsciously do, because again, I didn't have the words. I, I had gone to a counselor. I'd gone to a grief counselor after we lost our twins and I'm forever grateful that I did that, but I wish I would have continued. I wish that I would have been there. I wish that when the doctor said, have you been feeling any, you know, baby blues or any of that, that I would have been brave enough to say yes, but I wasn't, you know, I was too ashamed of, of what I was feeling because I really felt like, um, because of our story, you know, that I should, I, out of everyone should be the happiest on the planet, Mm -hmm. you know? And I just, I just, I was, I was coexisting, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so did the postpartum, Mm -hmm. would you say, was it a depression? I would say it was a depression. You know, when I, uh, when we, when we lost the twins, this isn't something I like talk about frequently, but I was, I, um, it was classified, right? As right. it was classified as situational, uh, depression, but it was, de- it was depression. Of mm-hmm. course I was depressed. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Of course I was depressed. Um, they made me take a quiz <laughs> in my follow-up appointment. So Sorry. I had to take a postpartum depression quiz and I was like, are you kidding me? Of course I'm depressed. Just can I, yeah. Can we do everything? <laughs> yeah. I, oh gosh. Anyway, I don't, I don't think they made me take a quiz. Yeah. They might've, they might've. Um, but I, you know, I, so I was going to a counselor and I, and I, for a season I was on an antidepressant and mm-hmm. I feel like it really, it helped me for that season, you know, and, and when we decided that we were going to, um, try to have Finley, you know, we made the decision like to, to go ahead and get off of it. But anyway, all that said, I kind of had the, like the, I had a clinical diagnosis at one point to like compare to. Mm. Um, and while it wasn't the same, I can very easily say, yes, I, I was depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that a, a big part of that could have just been, I was so confused right? and I didn't have, I actually, I did have people to talk to. I didn't talk to them. Right. And I, I regret that. I think that it could have been that just my first few months home with Finley could have just been filled with more joy, um, less confusion mm-hmm. if I had, if I had been more vulnerable. And maybe that is why I'm so passionate about this now because, um, it just, it was dark, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, and it was so extended and not to say that the, the, the same feelings wouldn't have been there. Obviously they would have, but again, like we could have made sense of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have, by not talking, like I didn't have anyone to connect with, mm-hmm. you know, there was no opportunity for connection. Um, so it was isolation. Yeah. Well, that that's so good for me to hear because I could imagine feeling similarly in that situation of you finally have this baby that you've been trying now for multiple years to have and you don't want to express anything but gratitude and joy. Right. So, and that's what people are looking for. They want you to be happy. And they want you to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. People are very uncomfortable with grief, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that then it's like they expect you in a way to move on too. Mm -hmm. 
to move forward, to be happy. To We want that also, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, but at the same time, it does feel like, um, I, I don't know, it just, it, it, it feels like we're trying to ignore the most, you know, important person in our lives, you know, mm-hmm. that the people in mind, you know, that, that are no longer with us. Mm-hmm. You can't just pretend that didn't happen. And for me, grief is an expression of love because Mm -hmm. anything that you love that much and Mm -hmm. is taken away, Mm -hmm. that's when you experience grief. So in that sense, I wouldn't want for my grief to ever go away because that would mean that I am not feeling that love anymore. Right. So I'm starting to make peace with kind of carrying that with me always Right. in that sense of, well, it's my love for Ellis. Right. Um, So that, that gives me a little bit of solace. Right. Yeah. I can understand that. And I think that, that it can, it can transform a little bit too. And so when you don't carry your grief in the same way, giving yourself permission to accept that you still love him Mm -hmm. and it doesn't look maybe like the heavy coat experience that it did at the beginning, but it can, it can transform, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and the way that you carry him may just, it it, it may evolve, um, but giving yourself grace for whatever that Mm -hmm. may look like. Grace is the, the word. Grace is so the word. So in your subsequent pregnancies, because yes. you've gone on to have two more children. Yes. Yes. Maybe you don't have to go as sure. much into depth, but sure. um, was there less fear having yeah. had one child, you know, successfully? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how were those experiences? I think that um, there was less fear. Yeah. There was still fear, you know. I think that if by some, you know, crazy thing, we were pregnant again, I would still feel fear, mm-hmm. you know, but at the same time, um, there, w- there was less. Um, I really feel like I coached myself more on, um, just being in the moment and being grateful for that all just the existing time that I had with this child, whatever that was going to look like. And I, and I tried to do this with Finley. I just think it got easier each time. Um, but to say this child deserves to be celebrated. I, I, I shouldn't fear him. I shouldn't fear her, you know, and I shouldn't fear the loss of him or the loss of her. Um, because one that (laughs) my fear is not going to change anything. It's not going to persuade anything. Um, it's just going to put stress on my body, you know, if anything. So, um, it did, it did get easier. And I feel like also each time like their birthdays came, it was less, um, it was less of the shame on myself, Mm -hmm. you know, um, which made it a more joyful experience. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. (laughs) Well, do you have any, um, I guess, advice or kind of final thoughts for someone who is experiencing pregnancy after loss and mm-hmm. um, kind of anything that stands out to you about your experience mm-hmm. that you would want to pass along? I think if anything, you know, one of the big things is, well, I so strongly believe in community and um, and not isolating yourself and not being ashamed of of loss. I think it's a disservice to the lost community. Um that they would ever even be meant, you know, to, to, to feel that way. But there's just that ourselves that we, we do need to show ourselves grace. But I, but I think a big part of it and a big part of your healing journey is if you can find people that are safe to connect with and, um, 
you know, here in San Antonio, we have a small but mighty group of people that are trying to make an impact, you know, like a plug for the shine on run. If you come out there, like we've all been there, you know, and we, we have a rainbow baby run because we want you to see, um, this symbol of, of, um, of hope. Um, there's a, there's a group in town called share and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a support group, you know, it's women who have, or men, couples, um, who have gone through loss, what you're doing, Taylor, you know, sharing your stories. Like, I think it's just connection and that requires vulnerability. Um, and I think we have to put ourselves out there at the time when all we want to do is hide under a rock. So my advice would be get out from under your rock and, um, we understand. We just, we so understand and there's no judgment. Um, and your grief can look different than my grief, you know? So, so my advice may not be fitting for you and that's, and that's okay. Um, but I still think at the end of the day that through that vulnerability and through that connection in some way you will experience at least some element of healing. Well, thank you for being vulnerable with us. Your story is really a testament to me. I mean, I'm experiencing this right now as we speak, yeah. just entering into pregnancy after loss. So it's, I feel like we were brought together for a reason. Yeah. And yeah. Totally um, I hope that your story is also helpful to others. I know it will be. Um, so thank you so much, Amber. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being so brave. I hope this episode was meaningful for you. If you'd like to connect with Amber, you can follow her on Instagram at shineonrun, and you can also register for the next run, which is scheduled for November 9th, 2019. To connect with me, you can visit taylorashleybates.com and also find me on Instagram. Please share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss, whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. And please subscribe and review this podcast. Your feedback will help shape this podcast and will also help others to find it. Stay tuned for the next episode, where I'll share my experience of pregnancy after loss, which unfortunately ended in a miscarriage at 10 weeks. I'll talk about how this affected me and what I did to cope with the anger and grief I felt. We've since started trying again to get pregnant, and we're still hoping for another rainbow baby. I'm Taylor Bates. Thank you so much for listening.